0: Douglas Ross still believes that Johnson is a truthful man. Well, I have to say, I've got some magic beans to sell Douglas Ross if he believes that.
1: That was Liberal Democrat leader Sir Ed Davey, and we'll hear more from him later in the show. Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Derek Healy and on this episode I'll be joined by Adele Merson, Callum Ross and Justin Bowie to examine and explain the past week in Scottish politics. But first, a summary of the week's biggest national and international politics stories, read for us by Morag Lindsay.
2: Boris Johnson again refused to resign this week after he received a fine for breaking lockdown as the partygate scandal worsened. His wife and Chancellor Rishi Sunak also both received fixed penalty notices for breaching Covid restrictions at a birthday party for the Prime Minister. The Scottish Tories launched their manifesto for the local council elections yesterday as Douglas Ross vowed only his party can stand up for the union against the SNP. But the Scottish Conservative leader was heckled by a pro-independence activist during the event. And the UK government has been heavily criticised after it unveiled plans to send some asylum seekers to Rwanda for processing. The Prime Minister also came under fire for claiming potential legal challenges to the policy could be politically motivated.
1: Thanks Morag. Now let's turn our attention to what's been happening closer to home. It's been an interesting week. We've had most of the parties out launching their election manifestos, political leaders visiting communities across the country, But undoubtedly, the news has been dominated by the latest from Partygate, as Boris Johnson, his wife Carrie and Chancellor Rishi Sunak were among those issued with police fines over lockdown-busting parties in Downing Street. I think it's easy to forget sometimes that becoming the first Prime Minister in history to be fined by police is only the latest wild turn in Boris Johnson's premiership. Believe it or not, we have an anniversary to celebrate, or perhaps note sorrowfully, depending on your political views. Next week will mark 1,000 days of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, and we'll have a very special quiz at the end of today's stushy to see how many of those wild moments our panel can remember. So stay tuned for that. But Before all that though, Justin, I wanted to ask you about the Conservative Manifesto launch in Glasgow. You covered that for us. Um, I believe an unexpected guest managed to sneak his way into proceedings. Can you tell us what happened?
3: Well yes, so pro-independence campaigner Sean Quirkin who is a well-known figure I suppose in the Scottish politics scene, um, he's been a well-known heckler at these events for years, managed to get into this private event where Douglas Ross was launching the Scottish Conservative Manifesto. He As you would expect, heavily criticised the Tories, heavily criticised Boris Johnson, branding him a criminal, said that the Tories weren't doing enough to address the cost of living crisis, which he said was the main reason that he'd gone there, to draw attention to people falling into poverty. Douglas Ross let him finish and he was then escorted out of the room. But it obviously just set, I suppose, a, a bad tone for the start of the event. Moving on beyond that, um, Douglas Ross then set out his vision for the local council elections and where the Scottish Conservatives want to be going forward. I would say that they have a very big focus, as always, which is still standing up against the SNP. They are wanting to very much paint Labour and any other unionist rivals as weak on independence, as being soft on independence, which is quite notable this week. Labour were criticised by the Tories for supposedly running too many pro-independence candidates or people who have backed a referendum. However, we obviously revealed this week that one Conservative candidate in Kim Ross was still a registered SNP member when he first stood for the party in 2020. Notably yesterday, Douglas Ross gave the candidate named Aziz Reman his full backing. He said that Aziz is an excellent candidate and was very glad that he's moved from SNP to Conservative. However, I suppose it does undermine the argument from the Conservatives that they are the only party who can be seen as not backing any pro-independence candidates or people who formally supported the independence, sorry, because Aziz no longer backs independence. So that, I suppose, was a bit of a kind of red-in-the-face moment. And Douglas Ross very much wants to focus on local issues heading into this campaign, but you could sense that he's struggling to move away from partygate and he's struggling to move away from kind of deepening scandal down south and no matter how much he wants to focus on Partigate I think the fact that the Tories are still focusing on their opposition to the SNP means that there's still going to be a very national conversation going on here and I think that would, should be a major concern for the Conservatives over the
1: next few weeks. Well I think we've got a clip of that interruption that we can have a listen to now. There's
4: going to be social unrest in Scotland
3: unless you stop what you're doing. We need to upgrade the benefits, social security benefits, by the rate of inflation 7 to 9% to enforcement.
4: I believe the police
3: can do that. All I'm saying is you should be raising the rates for social security benefits universal credit by 7 to 9% and restore the £20 a week cut to universal credit. That's what you should be doing. Mr. Ross, Mr. Dean John
1: Ross, thank you. Well, a bit of an awkward moment there, and what has been a week of them for Douglas Ross. The Scottish Conservative leader seems to have somehow talked himself into an even more unenviable position than the Prime Minister on Partygate. Uh, he famously called for Boris Johnson to resign when the scandal first broke, but then retracted that call when the war started in Ukraine. He's stuck in that position now, even with the Prime Minister and his inner circle being issued with fines. And he even had to go out on the campaign trail with former Scottish Tory leader Ruth Davidson, who just hours earlier had publicly called for Johnson to go. Uh, well, I think one of his own MSPs has broken ranks as well to call for Boris Johnson to step down. And political rivals have been describing the whole thing as, as humiliating for him. Adele, this has been a bit of a disaster for Douglas Ross, hasn't it?
4: Yeah, he almost seems his own worst enemy at times, you know. hes It's a strange one. I mean, we're looking at it from, a, I guess, a Scottish prism being in Scotland. But uh, it does certainly seem like he's almost come off for more flack than Boris Johnson in some ways um, up north. And I guess in part that's because he you know he got initial initially he got i think he did get a level of praise and respect for his decision to stand against his party and to publicly call for the prime minister to resign when the scandal first broke so i think he's he's got the praise at that point so it's almost made it doubly as awkward when he's then said oh i've taken i've withdrawn my letter from the 1922 committee i'm now backing the prime minister due to the war in ukraine and it has really just put him in a, real, a very, it is an, it's an embarrassing place to be. I think that, that he got a lot of headlines because a few days ago he said, I mean, you have to really do mental gymnastics to take this in, but he he argued the Prime Minister is a truthful man, but then went on to admit that the claim that he had not broken lockdown rules was clearly untrue. So, you know, that's, that's like <laughs> saying two different things at the same time, which is a bit of a strange position. And yeah, then followed up by having to go on the campaign trail with Ruth Davidson, who was, I guess, always seen as a popular conservative leader and who always seems to get trotted out uh, during this campaign when maybe when they get a bit worried and, and want some popularity, but that kind of backfires too because she, as you say, has just publicly called for him to go. It's a, yeah, it's an it's an unenviable position, but in a way, he's sort of also put himself in that position, I guess, as well.
2: I
1: was going to ask you I mean, he, he took that praise and uh, has he just been a victim of bad po- bad luck with the development since then or is, or is it bad politics what do you think
4: I really don't know I don't know if he's if somebody you know has prodded him and said for him to, to now back the prime minister I don't know if you know his reason is is definitely the changing situation with Ukraine but I think it's a little bit of both it's he's he's not helped by a national leader who continually seems to end up undermining his position in Scotland a lot of the time um and he's not helped by the fact that he has chosen to change his stance after coming out so strongly you know so it's it's, it's I think it's both his own doing but also the circumstances he finds himself in It's a bit of an on-the fence answer but I do think that's what it is.
1: Calum, I think pretty much every Conservative candidate that I've spoken to has told me that people are much more keen to talk about cost of living or, or just about any other issue. Well, I think every non-Conservative candidate has been telling me that Partergate is coming up on the doorstep time and time again. How big an issue is this for the Conservatives ahead of May 5th?
5: It definitely is a big issue, I think, Derek. I mean, I, I think it was yourself who spoke on the Stushy last week about the ballot box Scotland poll, you know, showing a, a dip in support. For the Tories and a, a and a, a rise for um, Scottish Labour, and that that was before the police find um, the PM and the Chancellor, and in doing so, kind of sent Gate back to the, the the you know the top of the news bulletins and reminding everyone about it. Um, so that's it's bound to have an effect on the Conservative vote at the local elections, uh, and and not only that. You, I mean, you mentioned the cost of living crisis. I mean, that's that's a huge one as well. There is a sense that, um, you know, it's the Tories getting the blame for that to a fair extent. The, this idea that Chancellor Rishi Sunak, you know, didn't really go anywhere near far enough in terms of his budget uh, and in terms of offering concrete measures to ease the pressures that people are are facing. Um, and then, the, you know, in the wake of that, there's been the rise about um, Mr Sunak's wife's non-DOM status and his own green card for the US. So, uh, yeah, the Scottish Tories could suffer real losses next month, uh, you've got to imagine, and potentially slip back to um, third place behind Labour, which would be a blow, especially kind of symbolically having overtaken Labour, the Scotland's kind of traditional um, uh, giant uh, uh, those years ago. having said all that, you know it, you got to keep it in perspective. As a council election, predictions are are hard to make. Uh, turnout will be fairly low. There'll be local factors involved, uh, and you know the Tories traditionally do a bit better at elections than they do in the polls. I mean, you saw last year with the Scottish election, the Scottish Parliament election. You know, it seemed a lot of people were saying that Douglas Ross and the Tories were having a very bad campaign, and then you know they ended up not doing it too badly. Certainly not going. Um, backwards and I, I think that was because they managed to get people to kind of focus in on the issues issues you know core issues like the constitutional future of the country um, um, and and things like that so that you know you never know that might happen again and I also wonder what does vi- victory really look like in, in local elections it's is it increasing the number of councillors is it the vote share is it the number of councils parties end up controlling? You know, if you've got an eye on future elections, national elections, I sometimes think it can be a bit of a a hindrance to actually be in power locally. Um, Councils have to make a lot of tough decisions, and it can be uh, easier sometimes uh, and more advantageous to be on the sidelines, although the parties would never say that. But I guess, you know, bottom line is if you're Douglas Ross or Anna Sower or Alex Cole Hamilton for that matter, um, you want the narrative coming out of these elections to be that you're. Party is making progress under your leadership and not uh, losing ground, and that might be a tough ask for our Mister for Mister Ross, given thanks mainly to his colleagues at Westminster.
1: We had Scottish Labour leader Anna Seward in Perth, Keir Starmer in Glasgow, and Nicholas Sturgeon launching the SNP campaign bus from Dundee. We'll have a special report from inside the SNP's campaign bus and interview with Nicholas Sturgeon from our colleague Rachel Amery. So keep an eye out for that on our websites. We also had Lib Dem leader Sir Ed Davie in the Highlands. I had the chance to attend an online press huddle with Sir Ed where he shared his thoughts on how Conservative MPs should react to the Partygate scandal. Here's what he
0: had to say. I think there's a lot of discussion within the Tory party. Clearly Parliament's sitting at the moment so was not privy to some of those discussions and trying to get bits in the tea room or whatever. But I do think once they start talking to voters, you might see a change of mind. And certainly, if they're being told by voters that we speak to, and these are some of these are lifelong conservatives, right? Um, they're pretty angry. Um, I, 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 lifelong conservatives believe in the rule of law. You know, that's a classic conservative value. a liberal democrat value, by the way. Um, but I think conservative voters feel that the people who set the law for us aren't above the law, they should obey the law. Um, and I think that will play very badly for the Conservatives amongst some of their core voters. So I think when Tory MPs get on the doorstep, um, they'll get that message. And so I think we're looking at a moving, a moving uh, target, to be honest. Uh, and um, I think this could unravel. Let's remember that it's pretty clear he's going to get, well... It's likely, it's likely he's going to get more than one um, ticket, more than one fine, because he went to more than one party. And I think some of the excuses that they've rolled out uh, aren't going to wash. Um, so if they don't do the decent thing, if Conservative MPs don't come together, write those letters and get him sacked, then they're guilty by association. And let's be clear, the whole Conservative Party, if it fails to do their, what I call their patriotic duty and get rid of Johnson, then they're to blame. They're just just guilty by association. And um, uh, I think the voters will take their revenge.
1: Well, a pretty strong take there. And I think talking of voters taking revenge, I asked the Red about his party being open to going into coalition with the Tories and local authorities across Scotland. You may remember that Lib Dems previously went into coalition with the Conservatives at Westminster, and some would argue they've been paying a price for that at the ballot box ever since. Um, so Red has made very clear that he believes Boris Johnson's unfit for office and that his government is behaving in a way that he strongly disagrees with. So I asked him how he can justify Lib Dem councillors doing deals with Tory candidates who are at that very moment out defending Boris Johnson on the doorstep.
0: Let me see this from a voters' context. There are voters who consider themselves as true blue Conservatives, lifelong Conservatives. And they're gonna vote sometimes, not all times, some of the time they'll vote for the local Conservative councillor because they see this different from Boris Johnson. Um, but when we talk to those lifelong Conservative voters, they are rejecting Boris Johnson. They see him as not decent man. They see him as someone who you know, doesn't reflect their values. Um, and we saw that in, Chesham and Amersham in the by-election there. Um, we saw it in North Shropshire. Um, and we've been seeing it on the doorstep in, in, in the Scottish local elections. They are very, very uh, upset and cross with um, Boris Johnson, but also the Conservative uh, MPs um, who are backing them. And they can draw a distinction between local elections and what's happening in their community and what's happening uh, under Boris Johnson nationally. And if voters can draw that distinction, so can I. I we'll also
1: asked Sir Ed about why the Lib Dem manifesto for this election is full of national pledges that local councillors won't actually be able to enact. They're pledging a support package for the cost of living crisis, a Robin Hood tax on energy companies, and stopping what they've described as a takeover of social care by the Scottish government. None of that will be decided in council chambers. I should say this is something lots of parties have been guilty of, and it's something I hope voters will keep in mind and keep an eye out for uh, as we get closer to the election. Here's what Sir Ed had to say on
0: that. Um, Well, it it, it is fair to say, Derek, that uh, obviously some of what we're saying is directed at um, Westminster, some is at Holyrood, some will be at local level, but um, in any campaign, you're campaigning for change, and we are campaigning for change at, at... in westminster in Holyrood, and and local level and so um, i still think if we can people vote liberal democrat they're sending a message to uh johnson they're sending a message to sturgeon they're sending a message to the local level um so it, people are liking what we're saying at all those levels on the local level um i would point more than anything to programs that local councils can operate with their housing um if they have council council houses with local housing associations to try to insulate homes better now some of that money will come from um from Holyrood, from, from edinburgh because it's uh, a devolved matter as you know um what i worry about in uh, scottish context is the smp have taken so much power away from local councils that local councils have less ability to do the things that I, I think they should do, um, particularly on home insulation. Um, we've got to, to, however, look at every single measure. So you know, some councils can, can use local transport plans so people don't have to necessarily use their car so much, make it easier to, to walk and to cycle and to use public transport. And there are a, a whole set of ways we can try to deal with the sort the energy side of the, the cost of living Um, In my own patch, uh, and I think this would apply to any area, anywhere in the United Kingdom, um, our local authority, our Lib Dem local authority, is working with the voluntary sector to try and step up and gear up to see if there are local resources we can bring together to help particularly the most vulnerable, be they elderly people, be they people on low incomes, be they disabled people, to make sure that there's and even greater local support. Um, so there are absolutely are things that a local authority can do if they have councillors who care. Uh, and, you know, Liberal Democrats have uh, a caring value right at the heart of what we do, looking after local communities, listening and championing uh, those local communities. You know, one of our mantras is we want a fair deal for people because we think they're getting a, a woeful deal, particularly from the Tories on the cost of living. And that, If you elect a Liberal Democrat, you elect a a local champion who's going to fight for that fair deal in your community. And there are many ways that people can can do that. So um, from insulating council homes to bringing uh, the community together uh, in this, what I think is going to be an extraordinarily difficult time, there are things that good community politicians can do.
1: Adele, one of the reasons I asked that question is that Ed Davey was campaigning in the Inverness area in the Highlands. We know that people in the Highlands have been disproportionately affected by fuel poverty. What do you think they'll make of his answer to that?
4: I think they might think it's on the wishy-washy side. There's, there's no real specifics there in terms of, I mean, he did kind of touch on, I think things like insulation programs are key, but they're not, local councils are not going to be able to surely deliver those at scale um, without intervention from, from government. So I think people are going to, are really struggling right now and they're going to want more than these kind of vague platitudes, I guess. And and they want to know, it's the same with, you know, the, the Robin Hood tax you talk of. Um, people are obviously on on two different sides around that. That's the, the kind of windfall tax idea of oil and gas uh, Companies are obviously having bumper profits, but it just seems such a, you know, there's such a back and forth, there's such an, an argument on both sides about it, but that it would take such a long time for anything to even drill down to actually help people in their their monthly bills. That I think people just want to see a lot more tangible action. And in terms of the highlands and remote and rural and island communities, they have, this has been an issue well before these well-documented energy bill rises that we have at the moment. So these communities have been crying out for, they've they've long suffered this disproportional impact for a variety of reasons that you could go into in some depth, but it's partly the nature of that, you know, a lot of the homes are older and they're they're poorly insulated and things like that. You've also got, um, it's more expensive, the energy charges. So... Yeah, they probably feel that this is well overdue That the time to see uh, real targeted action.
1: You know, just listening back to, to what he was saying, I mean, I, I can't see them printing anything of what he said on a campaign leaflet. I mean, it's not exactly the most inspiring when you get to drilling down into some of the kind of local issues and, and what are they actually going to be able to do. Callum, we've seen you know a lot of parties doing that. I wonder why you think that is. You touched a little bit earlier on about, you know, Is it it just easier to sell those big national ideas than it is to get into the nitty-gritty of of local issues and what they're going to do to sort them?
5: Yeah, it's an interesting question, Derek. I think you're probably right. You know, there's 32 councils in Scotland. It's going to be pretty tough to... um, you know, obviously, there's some crossover, uh, especially in different types of councils. You know, your rural councils, your urban councils, but um, you know, a big issue in Glasgow City might be completely different from a, a big issue in in Orkney Islands council area. So, um, I guess it's it's tough to um, uh, to come up with a, a whole series of priorities that are going to win you vote votes in in all kinds of areas. Although I, I'm not sure, but I'm guessing in some some of the bigger councils anyway, the, the parties will have specific policies um, for that, that council, you know, maybe maybe kind of unveiled separately from, from the more national manifesto. Um, I guess another reason might be, um, you know, the way the voting system works is that you always, almost always end up with coalitions at councils in Scotland. So um, if you go making a, a load of promises um, at an election, you m- you're probably going to end up having to... Um, Uh, abandon half of them as part of a kind of coalition deal with with whoever it is. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I think there are obviously people who are switched on to local issues and local discussions and local politics, but a lot of people will go and cast their vote depending on their view of of what's going on nationally. Um, We've seen kind of two big issues in the recent years kind of dominate um, politics in this country. Obviously, constitutional issues um, uh, around Scottish independence uh, and another referendum and, and, and uh, uh, obviously Brexit as well. Um, uh, and, you know, we may well see it again with the, with the likes of Partygate and, and cost of living. So I, th- I think those are probably probably some of the reasons the parties tend to focus on on the more national uh, issues at local elections.
1: Well, our listeners can check out our website it's in the lead up to the election, uh, where we'll have full explainers on what local councillors can and cannot do and everything you need to know ahead of May 5th. Uh, We'll also have a series of election debates where we'll be putting your questions to local political leaders about how services are being run, rising bills, and anything else you'd like to see discussed about your local area. Uh, Keep an eye out for that in the coming weeks, and more info on how you can take part. But in the meantime, I get to put my questions to our panel in our 1,000 Days of Boris Johnson quiz. Here's how it works. Justin has been busy this week, working on a piece, picking out his 10 wildest Boris Johnson moments during his time as PM. That should be live on our website by the time you're listening to this podcast. Adele and Callum, you haven't seen the article, but your job is to see how many moments from Boris Johnson leadership you can remember. We're looking for scandals, gaffes, or just general sort of bizarre goings on. Um, you'll get a point for each answer on Justin's list, but remember, there have probably been far more wild moments than we could ever fit into a single article, so really... There's no wrong answers in all of this. Uh, Justin, if you don't mind, you're going to be keeping score of the, the points for us and announcing a winner, if that's okay. It is. Yes. I'll kick off with one we've been discussing this week, Partygate. So because that that's one of the ones in the list, I would get to hear this sound.
0: The eyes
1: have it. Tremendous. Thanks to Chris Finn for that one. Um, so who has a Boris Johnson moment they would like to share?
5: I I don't know if this came from him, but there was there was a suggestion that at uh, one of the the parties that um, he'd been ambushed by cake, uh, which was an excuse that probably came from one of his uh, allies. Uh, I don't know if that might be in there.
1: That that is a good suggestion, but I think that's just a general party. I think that's all under the umbrella of Partygate. Uh, ambushed ambushed by cake is a favourite.
3: Yeah, for for a wee, for a wee tip for you, we basically based, grouped Partygate together as one thing because obviously for the size of an article. We've just taken Partygate as, as, as the one thing. So that is that would come under the bracket of Partygate, of course.
1: Adele, any ideas?
4: Uh, the rambling speech he gave where he talked about Peppa Pig World. The
0: eyes have it.
1: Tremendous. And we've actually got a little clip of that that I think we can play. Uh, this was from a, a frankly bizarre speech that he gave to the CBI where uh, he lost his place and yeah said some, said some very interesting stuff.
6: So with, with Safer Streets... Uh, with great local schools, uh, with fantastic uh, broadband. Uh, uh, Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. People will have the confidence to stay nearer the place they grew up, to start business, and business uh, will have the confidence uh, to invest. And Tony, yesterday I went, uh, as as we all must, uh, 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 to to Peppa Pig World. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to, hands up anybody who's been to Peppa Pig World. Not enough. I was well, it's, it's I was a bit hazy what I would find at Peppa Pig World, uh, but I loved it. And Peppa Pig World is is very much my kind of place. Uh, it, 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 it has uh, a uh, very safe streets, uh, discipline in schools, uh, heavy emphasis on new mass transit systems. I, I notice, uh, even if they're a bit stereotypical about about Daddy Pig. Uh, but the real lesson for me going to Pepper Big World, I'm surprised you haven't been there, uh, was about the power of UK creativity.
1: There you go. I think if you had to listen to some of our outtakes, you might say that Boris Johnson and I have very similar presenting styles. Um, Any other suggestions?
4: The Owen Patterson scandal? Is that there? Sleazegate, as I'm going to call it. Yes, and then blocked his suspension, and then he U-turned I think quite quickly.
1: Another good suggestion, Justin. Is that one of the ones we actually didn't have <laughs> that one in?
3: Which is that was not one of the ten. Which is you kind know, of shows you know how much stuff we had. Um, I think because that was more recent. There may be one or two older things in there as well, just to give some hints to think back to Ellie, Ellie Boris uh, as Prime Minister.
5: What about the bridge to Northern Ireland? Uh, uh, Let's <laughs> spend a load of money um, investigating uh, that one. <laughs> also, actually, not there. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, refusing to sack Dominic Cummings or standing by Dominic Cummings the
0: eyes have it
1: well done uh, I think we've that's all comes under Barnard Castle doesn't it in that general row Justin is that correct as a general controversy yes it's all grouped into one
3: but obviously there's still other more recent stuff too but yeah
4: that news story about well he I think Downing Street denied it but he somebody said that he would rather have the bodies let the bodies pile high but then have a second, another lockdown. The eyes have it.
1: Yeah, well done. That's another one we've got on there. Um, I think I'm, I'm worried that no one's going to guess this one, and it's my absolute favourite. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've picked out a sound clip for it, uh, so this is uh, Model Buses from his uh, his bizarre interview with Talk Radio. Um, so let's have a listen to that. What do you do to
6: relax? What do you do to switch off? Uh, I. I I like to paint, um, or I make things. I like to. What do you make? I make. I have a thing where I make models of. We when I was in like where Mayor London we build a beautiful. I make buses. You make models of buses. I make models of buses. See, they're going to be be in Downing Street. So, so what I do? No, what I don't make models of buses. What I I make is. I get I get, old. I don't know, cr- wooden crates, Yeah. right? And then I paint them, and they, uh, and they have two, two suppose it's a, white, it's a box that's been used to contain two, two wine bottles, right? Right. And it will have a, 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 a dividing thing. Yeah. And I turn it into a bus, and I, so I, p- I put passengers. You really want to know this? You're making buses, you're making cardboard buses. Okay, that's what you do to enjoy yourself. I paint, no, I paint yeah. the passengers, enjoying themselves okay, great. on the wonderful bus.
1: There was actually there was a conspiracy theory um, that Boris Johnson purposely mentioned buses to try and knock um, the, the NHS, the money for NHS claim that was on the Brexit bus, to try and knock that down in search results. But I don't know if that's true or not. But yeah, I just love that clip. I think that's one of the best. Uh, Justin, do you think we should give any hints for any of the other ones?
3: There is. There's another COVID one. Um, for a more newsy one think Brexit
1: let's let's go for Covid so can you think of any we had let the bodies pile high but was there any other interesting moments uh, during the Covid pandemic that that spring to mind you think guys
4: he got slated for not wearing a mask on a few occasions I think one was COP26 near David Attenborough Uh, that's not one no not
5: quite (laughs) He, he shook hands at a hospital didn't he yeah yes yeah that's one he went to the hospital yeah and shook everyone.
4: the eyes
0: have it
3: yeah um, he talked about like shaking hands with everyone and he talked about there was probably covid patients at the hospital as well and yeah
1: let's have a little listen to the clip
6: that I, I i i i'm shaking hands Continues. i was at a i was at a hospital the other night where i think there were a few there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients and i shook hands with everybody uh you'll be pleased to know and, and i continue to shake hands and uh uh, I think it's very important that we, you know, you know, people obviously can make up their own minds. I think the, Matt has said that people must make up their own minds, but I think the scientific evidence is, well, I'll hand over to the, to, to the wa- experts, but, wa- but wash our, judge- our judgment is wash. Uh, washing your hands is the crucial thing.
4: Uh, was the, re- the scandal around the refurbishment of his flat um, one of them?
3: Y- you were right, Adele, as well, with the flat refurbishment.
0: The eyes have it.
3: So we've still got our two from the twenty nineteen election. As I say, think media and think
1: trying to dodge media.
4: This is probably really obvious. I just can't think. Um... Ah,
1: I, don't, I don't think you're going to get it. I'll tell you what. Why don't why don't we call it there for this week, and we'll ask people to check out the article online and find out the rest of the answers. But Justin, do we have a winner?
3: Overall, from the questions asked that we did, we had Adele got four of them and Callum managed to get one. So we have four-one to Adele
1: after that one. Wonderful. Congratulations, Adele. Uh, I'll leave it to our listeners to decide if any of us are really the winners in all this. Uh, But I think that's probably all we have time for this week. There's just time to thank Adele, Callum and Justin, our producer Morvin, who's done a fantastic job getting our clips together this week, and of course you for listening. We'll be back next week with more, but until then, and even after then, Pick up or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, and all of our news brands, so that you can be better briefed.
6: The Stushy is the politics podcast from DC Thompson, designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, Westminster, and our communities, so that you can be better briefed. Don't miss an episode by following The Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or or wherever you listen. And if you know folks like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune in or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And stay even more up to date on local and Scottish news by subscribing to The Courier or Press and Journal, where you can get one month of
4: unlimited access for just £1. Check the episode notes for details and terms.